0: I want to talk about friend of God? We sang it, and want to talk about it. Um, we sing the song "I'm a friend of God," and it, it, it seems to come from a place where He's saying it, and that is true. He does say it. But besides the high honor of hearing God say "Well done, good and faithful servant," which is something that we should aspire for, another highly pra- highly prized phrase. Not often spoken in um, heaven is uh, when God says, here stands a friend of God. It's not very often that you hear him saying that in the Bible. eh? He, he says that generally to us because that's coming from his heart. Because, in, uh, I mean, uh, think of it this way. The creator and the God of the universe, the creator and the God of the universe says, He is my friend, that He sees me as a friend. That's what the Creator and the God of the universe says. And that's settled for eternity. Settled for eternity, where He says, I don't see you as anything but a son and a friend, Jacob. That's settled for eternity. And Romans 8.38 says that there's nothing that will ever break that, eh? for the rest of eternity. Romans 8.38 says, I'm absolutely convinced that nothing... I am absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, nothing angelic or demonic, nothing like today or tomorrow, nothing high or low, nothing thinkable or unthinkable, not even sin, it says in eight thirty-six and 37. No trouble you're going through. Not even sin, absolutely nothing can get between me and God's love for me, because of how Jesus has embraced me. So that is settled for eternity, that I'm a friend of God. He sees me that way. But besides the high honor of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, which is a thing that some of us will hear, and many of us should aspire to hear, because we just assume that everybody who goes to heaven, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. No, To hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, make sure you're faithful. And make sure that the life lived is the life that is good before him. Because many of us will go to heaven because we are saved. But it is another thing to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But another phrase that you can aspire for that is highly prized in heaven or that is occasionally spoken in heaven is when God turns to someone and says, there's a friend of mine. Because of the qualities and the ways you live here on earth, he says, there stands a friend. God said that about Abraham, eh? In Isaiah 41 verse 8. In Isaiah 41 verse 8, and I think in Second Chronicles 20. In both places, God says of Abraham that, here is my friend. Two more left. You usually do it in sevens. Okay. Isaiah 41 8, Abraham was called a friend of God. Second Chronicles 20, I think verse 7, I might be wrong. He calls Abraham a friend of God. So what we're going to look at today is what does it take to be called a friend of God? What does my life look like? What will my life look like if I say I'm a friend of God? What does it look like? and this is from how do we live here if we are supposed to live a life that that personifies what it is to be a friend of god so here's the first one guys as a friend of god i must believe i must entrust myself i must rely on i must be expectant i must be persuaded of his goodness his power And his faithfulness. How do we know that these are required qualities? Because it says in James 2.23 that the scriptures were fulfilled which says that Abraham believed, relied on, depended on, wholly trusted himself to God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. One of the requirements... Uh, expected of you, if you say you're a friend of God is, are you illogically, desperately, recklessly and joyously dependent on Him? Let me say that again. I must be desperately, as in, gosh I can't live any other way, recklessly, as in, come on Father, let's jump off this cliff. Illogically, as in, this doesn't make sense, but it makes so much sense. And joyously, as in, yeah, and you jump off. That is what it looks like to believe. That is what it looks like to believe. Desperately, as in, but I want a son. You said you'll give me a son. Recklessly, as in, I'm going to sleep with, um, um, what's his name? What's her name? Sarah. I'm going to sleep with Sarah even though she's 90. Illogically as in, I know I'm important and my body does not work. And joyously as in, Sarah, you can begin calling me Abraham from now on, even in the marketplace. This is a quality that should stand out if you're a friend of God. And it shall be credited to you, not just as righteousness alone, but you shall be called a friend of God. Because a friend of God believes, relies, depends on, leans back on, is expectant and is persuaded of God's goodness, of God's power, of God's faithfulness. That'll show that you're a friend of God. Here's another one. As a friend of God, I must love obedience to his commands. As a friend of God, I must love, not um, not, n- n- not submit to. I must love obedience to his commands. And I must dread offending or hurting the father I love. I must love obeying his commands. Not I must submit to his commands. Not I must... Um, You know, there's this verse in Isaiah, one which has always bothered me, which is such a cool verse. It says, if you were obedient and willing, you would have eaten the good of the land. Not if you were obedient, you would have eaten the good of the land. Not if you are willing, you will eat the good of the land. If you had been obedient and willing. And willingness and obedience comes when you begin to love the one whose commands you're obeying. So as a friend of God, I must love obedience to His commands and I must dread offending the Father I love. I must dread offending or hurting the Father I love. Wouldn't you do that for a good friend? Usually with good friends, we are willing to do what they ask us to do because of our friendship and we dread offending them. When, we, when Derek and I were traveling at one point, there was a time when I was hoping he could come with me somewhere, and then they, the others told him, the airline told him no, he can't, and stuff like that. I, I felt very bad. I called him two, three times, sent him text messages. By the way, sending, calling Derek is an expensive prop- proposition because his, tele- his phone, his mobile, is still a long distance number. So every time you call him, you pay 35 cents a minute. This message is sponsored by Fido. <laughs> yeah, so so you dread offending people you love. It's not a dread that is, comes out of fear, but it's just you don't want to offend or grieve someone you love. And so that's another sign of a friend. And John fifteen fourteen says, you are my friends. This is Jesus speaking, and he says it so plainly. Some of these, you know, that's the difference between Jesus and Paul, huh? Jesus could say something very plainly in one short sentence. Paul would say the same thing in very, very long sentences. So, John 15 verse 14 says, You are my friends if you do what I command. Wow. As a friend of God, I'm a friend of God if I do what He commands. God sees me as a friend, but to behave as a friend of God here on earth, I must do what he commands. Another scripture that talks about um, uh, friendship is uh, Psalm 25:14, And depending on the version, ESV puts it this way. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And we talked about this long ago when we talked about the fear of the Lord. We said the fear of the Lord is born out of love and it's the dread of offending the Father you love. The fear of the Lord is the dread of offending the Father you love in the New Testament. Not in the New Testament. It has ever been so. But we see it with New Testament glasses. So that's the second one. Here's another one. Guys, as a friend of God, I must love Him... Through all times, especially during times of adversity. As a friend of God, I must love him through all times, especially through times of adversity. In um, Proverbs seventeen seventeen it says a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs seventeen seventeen. My friendship with God, his is never tested. Eh? He laid down his life. He said, you lay down your life for your friends and he did. But my friendship with God is tested in terms of how I am through hard times, through times of adversity. Because as a friend of God, I must love him through all times. So the question is, is his presence, is his grace, is his truth, is his peace, is his love manifest in my life? When hard times and adversity try to distance and choke, I will never leave you or forsake you out of my life. Have you and I come to a place now where there is no upsetness, where adverse circumstances hit? Where we've stopped using words like, um, Why is God doing this to me? Where we've stopped saying, Where is God? Where we stopped saying, how come none of your promises are working? You're not faithful. Has it ceased? Is it an immediate um, um, turning towards God in adversity? Or is there a difficulty approaching Him because things are not working out? And when things don't work out, there's sometimes this tendency of many things not working out. It's an old trick of the enemy, eh? where when he sometimes attacks, he attacks in um, multiple blows to see if the person can completely crumble. So one needs to ask where you're at. Will looking at my life show that my elder brother does all things well? When looking at my life, Will my life show that my elder brother does all things well? Because a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. We always put that on God or between our relationship with each other. But turn it on yourself. Are you and I able to love him at all times? Because that's who a friend of God is, especially through adversity. Another scripture says in Proverbs 18.24, There is a friend who sticks closer than her. Brother, why does it always have to be God? Why can't it be you now? You and him. Not him and you. We always think of him as the one who sticks closer than a brother. Why not, since you want to be a friend of God, why not turn it around? Though you slay me, yet will I praise you. Though the victory shall not blossom, yet will I rejoice and do cartwheels. Want to turn it on yourself? I want to be a friend of God on earth. I want to. But these are things that are sometimes required. Here's another one. As a friend of God, I must seek, discover, and know what the Father is doing. As a friend of God, I must seek, discover, and know what the Father is doing. Very important Distinction of someone who is a friend. Guys, remember this. God is first looking for friends, not servants. God is first looking for friends, not servants. Servanthood is very important in the kingdom. But servanthood can be rooted in bland and risk-free Bliss of kesara-sara. Let me say that again. Servanthood is vital in the kingdom, but servanthood can be rooted in the bland and risk-free bliss of kesara-sara. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to decide. Join me now. Kesara-sara. This is the role of a servant. Don't believe me? Jesus actually said it. John 15 verse 14 and 15, he said, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So to walk around saying, whatever God does, let him do is the role of a servant and it's vitally important because whatever God says we should do. But God first wants friends, not servants. And so we need to understand that that is a distinction of friendship. And so withdraw yourself from this k Sarasara attitude because it's bland, it's sluggish and it's risk-free. Risk-free. Guys, Isaiah 55.8 which says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, my ways are higher than your ways, must collide with Proverbs 25.2, which says, it is the privilege of God to conceal a matter, but it is the privilege of kings to reveal it. It should collide, and when it collides, that's when the supernatural acts of God are generated. Do you see now why God... In Genesis eighteen twenty four says to the angels that are with him, should I not tell Abraham what I'm going to do? He's he's waiting to go and judge Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's standing there and he's and he hasn't told anybody, and he's outside the oaks of Mamre, and he's standing there and he's thinking, and he says it aloud: Should I not? Should I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? It goes back to what Jesus is saying, that I don't treat you as servants anymore. Servants do not know what their master is going to do. But I treat you as friends, and I have revealed to you what the Father knows. This is what was behind God's yearning in Genesis 18:17. Guys, will you go tell your secrets to strangers? Will you go tell your secrets to acquaintances? Will you go tell your secrets to ones who are fair-weather friends? You will only tell that which are deep things that you want to, to friends. Because you know they have come to a place in relationship with you where they can be trusted. To only step up when you ask them to step up, but otherwise to keep a matter. God is looking for friends. And to be a friend, you have to walk in this distinct characteristic of beginning to seek, discover, and know the will of God instead of walking in the bliss of Kesara. Kessera is Latin, right? Not Greek. Okay. Well, I just thought I knew something in Greek and now it turns out to be Latin. Um, or maybe it's French. Spanish? This could split the church. Let's move on. (laughs) Guys, the next thing is, as a friend of God, I must press in to draw near. I must press in to draw near. I must press in to draw near. I must seek to speak face to face. So how many googled k Sarasara well by now? No one? That's very good. This is a church that knows how to behave. And, uh, and I must knit my heart to His in intimacy. Three things that that's so distinguish friendship, eh? I mean, this is such a no-brainer. That I must press in to draw near. James chapter 4, verse um, 8. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Isn't that how friends are? Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. It's the very nature of friends. Try doing that. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Spanish. Spanish. Okay. Like I said, this might just... Okay, moving on. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Derek, come back to the teaching. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Guys, why am I stuck there? You, you guys are distracting me. Guys, press in. Press in to draw near. Right? this is a sign of friendship. The next one is in Exodus thirty three eleven, uh, and Moses, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as he speaks to a friend. Gosh, man, Exodus thirty three eleven, and the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Remember that word panim, which we talked about long ago, which is a face to face. Um, speaking and the odd thing is the word presence and face-to-face have the same meaning so exodus thirty-three eleven, the lord would speak to moses face-to-face as one speaks with a friend and then first samuel 18 1 it's david and jonathan and it says there as soon as he had finished speaking to saul the soul of jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. First Samuel 18, 1. So these are three things that characterize a friend of God. And the beautiful thing is tomorrow you can increase in it. And day after you can increase some more. So that one day in the corridors of heaven. They'll say. God will say to his angels or whoever. Or between the Trinity where he says. Oh, there goes a friend of mine. There goes a friend of mine. One man, he talks about like that. Abraham, eh? There goes Abraham, my friend. This is not some kind of a crown we wear. This is satisfying the heart of God. Yeah, it's easy to say, Oh, we don't want a crown like that. We just want to be humble servants. Well, Do what God asks. That's what's important. God says, I want friends first, not servants. This is not about wearing a crown. This is about satisfying the heart of God. He is most glorified when you are most satisfied. And I would suggest to you, friendship with Him can be very satisfying. Next one. As a friend of God, I must love purity. As a friend of God, I must love purity. I also must be a man whose speech is full of grace. Ah, difficult now, eh? Suddenly, these other things were a little easier. Now we're getting into the nitty-gritty of things. As a friend of God, I must love purity. And I must be a man whose speech is full of grace. Proverbs 22, verse 11. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. You can see why the speech full of grace is important, guys. In James chapter 3, verse 2, it says, If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man who knows how to bridle his whole body. What an odd scripture, eh? That if I knew how to speak perfectly, I would be a perfect man. Just imagine that. We can do a whole teaching on that. But it says, and I love the... King James in this. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man who can now bridle his entire body. James chapter 3 verse 2. If any man offend not in word, as in his speech is perfect, his speech is perfect. Yeah, Crazy, eh? Can't even imagine that. That's why if you could spend the rest of your life speaking in tongues, you'd be a perfect person. But the problem is no one would understand you. So that's why it won't work. (laughs) This guy called Jim Downing um, was asked this question. Why is it that so few... Men finish well, men and women, so Jim Downing was asked, why is it that so few men finish christian the christian race well why, why is it that so few men f- finish well and his answer was i 've been trying to memorize this one they learn they learn the possibility of being fruitful without being pure, and they begin to believe. That purity doesn't matter. Eventually, they become like rotting, tre- they become like trees rotting inside that are toppled by a storm. Let me say that again. Why is it that so few men finish well? And his answer was they learn the possibility of being fruitful without being pure. And they begin to believe that purity doesn't matter. Eventually, they become like trees rotting inside that are toppled over by a storm. And isn't that what is happening with leaders? Where you can become fruitful because the ministry is going well, the results are great, the church is increasing, signs, wonders and miracles are happening, people like you, financially you're doing well, your family seems pretty well painted, at least on magazine covers. But at the end of the day, You are finding yourself fruitful and you're letting go of purity and the inside is rotting. And when the inside rots, eventually in a storm the tree topples. As a friend of God, I must love purity. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Doesn't matter whether you're a leader of a big church or a small church like this. Doesn't matter if you're a man of God of Great importance or absolutely no importance. Purity is vital. Because otherwise the storm will eventually topple you. And me. I take this to heart like crazy. Guys, so what are we talking about? Purity of life in words. In thoughts. In imagination. I was listening to someone say this last week. That I wouldn't be tempted if it wasn't for the fact that I didn't think a certain way and imagine a certain way. I cannot be tempted... If it wasn't for the fact that I think a certain way and imagine a certain way. Where a thought is introduced and I begin to ponder on it and I begin to imagine. And once I begin to imagine, now I can be taken till sin conceives and gives birth to. It's like a fish that's going towards a bait. Sin conceives and then gives birth to death. But it starts in here, man. So purity... In words, in thoughts, in imaginations, in action, in sex, what we consume and what we output. I'm talking about food, drink, what we see, what we hear, and what we output. Here's another one. As a friend of God, I must be. De- I must not. I must not be deceived by the slanderer, or the deceiver, or the devil. As a friend of God, I must not be deceived. By the slanderer, the deceiver, or the devil. Proverbs sixteen twenty-eight, the second part of it says, A slanderer separates intimate friends. A slanderer separates intimate friends. Proverbs sixteen twenty-eight, the second half. So as a friend of God, I must not be deceived by the slanderer or the deceiver or the devil. Guys this that it is when truth is resisted that the deceiver steps in and delusion follows. Let me say it again. This is very true. Eh? It is when truth is resisted that the deceiver has room to step in and delusion follows. Isn't this what happens in the parable where when the seed of truth falls on rocky soil of the heart, the birds come and devour or dispose of it. That's what happens in the parable. So when truth is resisted or not easily accepted, now it creates room for the deceiver to fly in and dispossess you of the truth and thereafter, as it says in First Thessalonians, a delusion follows. So one of the one of the smart ways to be free of delusion, is to be willing to receive truth. I fear sometimes that when I resist truth or you resist truth that is spoken here or shape your own version of the truth, you think you are being too loyal to God's ways when you may be actually walking in dim vision. See, I can preach this and not go home and practice it. And the moment I do that, what is happening is, I need to be afraid that I am not working with the truth, that I am beginning to shape my own version of the truth. I am a hearer but not a doer. See, these are the ways we deal with the truth. eh? Either we resist it because it doesn't fit our paradigm, or we shape it so that it mixes with what we know, so that it can be palatable, or we hear it but we don't practice it. And when any of these things happen, the deceiver has room to now come into my life and dispossess me of the truth that I spoke or I taught or you spoke and you taught. And he now has the ability to fly in, dispossess me of it. And now what follows, guys, this is true of everything. eh? A vacuum begs to be occupied. And when you are dispossessed of the truth, delusion follows. And I fear that for me, and sometimes I fear that for you. And the greater the exposure to the truth, the greater your responsibility. And sometimes the feelings get in the way. But remember guys, your feelings are not God. God is God. Your feelings are not God. God is God. Your thoughts and feelings do not define the truth. The Word of God defines the truth. Your thoughts and your feelings, this is how I think. Sorry, doesn't matter what you think. Your thoughts and feelings do not define the truth. The Word of God defines the truth. Two more and we're done. Guys, as a friend of God, I must know that friendship with the world, as in its way of thinking, It's prime time TV programs. It's philosophies. It's standards. As a friend of God, I must know that friendship with the world will result either in conformity with the world or in adulteration of my life, making me an enemy of God. Gosh! Where did that one come from? That came from James chapter 4 verse 4. Where it says, you adulterers, it actually says you adulteresses, Because we are the bride of Christ. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow. And the thing is, because of the inundation of the world into our living rooms, into our lives on a daily basis, much of it through primetime TV. Blessed are you if you don't own a television set, and even more blessed are you if you own a television set and know how to mod, how to not watch it. That's even tougher, eh? So, yeah. So blessed are you, but more blessed are you if you have one and do not watch it. Oh, <laughs> you are in deep, deep trouble. <laughs> Thou art blessed if thou hast a TV and watcheth baseball. Yeah. Silence in the gallery. <laughs> I I almost pictured this when I was writing that there will be a voice from that end of the room saying exactly what you said. And I thought no, he's gotten better over the years. But what do you know? So as a friend of God, I must know that friendship with the world, its way of thinking. It's prime time TV. It's philosophy. It's standards, guys. See, uh, jokes about sex and homosexuality hardly bother us anymore. Um, watching something on TV where uh, there's an adulterous relationship or um, stuff like that doesn't bother us anymore. It, it, it doesn't do. It, it, we're not. Uh, we we don't react like Lot in Sodom. It doesn't grieve us. The, the it's become such a normal thing for us. We can watch it without even feeling a thing because it's become such a normal part of life. Good for you then. Very good for you. Because I'm finding that when I see stuff like this, it doesn't bother me. anymore. It's like I've gotten used to it. Very good. If you haven't gotten... I'm, uh, oh, let, me, let me rephrase it this way. I am not bothered like it. Buy it like I used to be bothered before. Because it's become like, ah, but this is life. And so what happens is, this is life, has the, the, the phrase this is life, the reason I use it is because obviously the way I think has been contaminated or adulterated by the standards of the world. So uh, there is the distinction between Goshen and the rest of Egypt is becoming very thin. And so if you still are offended by it, good, you've preserved yourself better than I have. So may our thinking and may our standards once again be lifted up because to be friends with the world is to be an enemy of God. And I don't know who wrote this line. I think it's John Piper, I'm not sure. But he said, it's not the banquet of the wicked. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for God. It's nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for God. As in we, we, we know enough not to sit at a banqueting table that the enemy spreads. But what dulls our appetite for God is the nibbling at the table of the world. Yesterday I went for an engagement thingy and so I kept nibbling at little things. When I got home, there was lots of dinner, but I didn't feel like eating it. So I had to wait till 11.30 before I felt hungry. But, but that's there was no need for that example. The point being, guys, that <laughs> that's how this works. That's how this works. So let us demolish altars of sinning that we have set up in our lives and homes. Let us demolish altars of sinning that we have set up in, at our, in our lives and our homes. One of the things that uh, I I know that I've started doing and want to continue is like drastically reduce what I watch on TV. Drastically. Because when I I was writing this, I was thinking to him, boy, you don't react with any, not shock, nothing in you rises up against some of the things that are happening. You take it as commonplace. And why? Because... That's what you hear and see, and you get used to it. You know, there's this canal in um, Chennai, India, called the Buckingham Canal. Beautiful name. But all the sewage of Chennai goes into that canal. And so when you land there, and it's right next to the railway, central railway station there. When you land there and you step out of the train, man, it's an overpowering smell. But if you keep walking there a couple of days, you you get so used to that smell that you don't even realize that it stinks that much. Odd how these things work. Last point. As a friend of God, I must lean on the friend who will always be with me and grow me into an Abraham-like friend of God as a friend of god boo as a friend of god i must lean on the friend who will always be with me and grow me into an abraham like friend of god who is who are we talking about the wonderful holy spirit in john 14:16 depending on which version you're reading it says i will talk to the father and in some versions it says he will provide you another friend In some versions it says advocate, in another version it says helper. But John 14, 16, I will talk to the father and he will provide you another friend, advocate or helper so that you will always have someone with you. This friend is the spirit of truth. So here's a cool thing, that God has given me a friend who can help me become a friend of God. How nuts is that? God has given me a friend who can help me become a friend of God. Who can help me become an Abraham like friend? Or even slightly better than him? Or maybe really better than him. I'm a friend of God. That if you say that statement, then these things have to become now part of a life. Yeah? Yes. Bless you guys. It's been a good Sunday, man. Yeah. What's fun. Thanks guys. And um, you know, we need to uh, put up some of these things, like put up this uh, Chantal thing, put up this Diana thing, and put up the, um, what's her name, Rhonda thing, and um, yeah, those are the things we have to put up, so um, should I, yeah, we need, a constru- we need the construction thingy to do that. Wayne? <laughs> so Father, we bless you, it's been... Um, a wonderful morning. It, it, the odd thing is, Father, your spirit orchestrates the morning, and then we end up uh, doing the things that you want, and then um, you are glorified, and when you are glorified, we are satisfied. Yes. Uh, and the great thing is there's no limit to it. There'll never be a time when we will we have plumbed the ultimate depths of glorifying you. Even when we are in heaven, it'll continue. So thank you. We bless you, Father. Father, next week, just so the people here remember, we are meeting at 10.20, Father. (laughs) Uh, It's so enjoyable.